Now, I want to talk to you about faith today, but I'm going to pull out of a, the Bible a story that's one of my favorites. I'm calling this today Through the Roof. And I want to talk to you about Through the Roof Faith. Through the Roof Faith. How many of you know that believers walk by faith and not by sight? And having begun in faith, we walk by faith and we end in faith. We want to be able to say with Paul, I have finished my course. Not almost finished, not kind of finished, but I fully finished my course, my assignment from God. Amen? And I kept the faith and I fought a good fight. There's bad fights, there's good fights. The good fight is the fight of faith. Amen? So I'm going to talk to you about a story that is just very powerful, um, very poignant. It's, very, it's full of pathos. It's full of um, just all the things that make for a great drama. Let me read to you the story out of the New King James Version. And I'm reading from Mark 2, the first 12 verses. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Well, you want people to hear that Jesus is in the house. Amen. A lot of churches meet. Jesus ain't nowhere in that house. But sometimes if Jesus is in the house, you had church. Amen. Now look what happened when he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together because he was in the house. So there was no longer room to receive them, not even about the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now when Jesus saw what? The hassle? When Jesus saw the intrusion? When Jesus saw the men? No. What did Jesus see? When Jesus saw their faith, It is impossible to please God without faith. When he saw the faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus, he knows what you're saying when he can't even hear you. Right? Within themselves, he saw what they were reasoning within themselves. He knew their heart. He said to them, why do you reason about these things? Where, everybody, in your hearts? So he knows our thoughts. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately, hear all the immediately's. Anytime you read the gospel of Mark, it's filled with immediately's. It's called the gospel of immediate. Seriously. Immediately, he got up, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of everybody. So they were all amazed and glorified. God saying, we have never seen anything like this. How many of you would like people leaving church going, I have never seen anything like that? Amen? So that's what happens when Jesus is in the house. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing today and pray that you will speak to us, minister to us, and guide us, Lord, in the way that we should go. We thank you, Lord, for increasing our faith today. Now, church, breathe a prayer with me and just say, Lord, increase my faith. 
in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. Now, this is a powerful story, and let me just kind of unpack it for us today and pull out some things that I think will bless you. They, They sure have blessed me. First of all, the Bible says that this miracle happened in a town called Capernaum. Now, we know that Jesus was born where? Oh, little town of? Right. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised where? In Nazareth. Got some Bible scholars here today. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth, but he he made his ministry headquarters in Capernaum. We don't know why. He just did because he wanted to, because he's God, so he can. But he made it in Capernaum. And if you read the accounts of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, you find more of his miracles than not were performed in and around this little town of Capernaum. Now, this town of Capernaum was also the home of two sets of brothers, John and James and Peter and Andrew. And it was also the home of Matthew, the tax collector. So Capernaum had quite a few Bible luminaries living in it. Now, Mark 1, if you drop back a chapter, reveals that Jesus had already been to this house that we just read about, that when he went in there, it filled up with people. He'd already been there once before because this house happened to be Peter's house. He was in Simon Peter's house. And Mark 1 tells us that when he visited for the first time, Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever and Jesus took her by the hand and healed her. And that's what happened the first time Jesus visited. Now he has gone out and he has gone on a a wide uh, preaching uh, tour where he has preached in many towns around the region. And now he's returning to Capernaum and he goes into this house for a second time. Now, how many of you would love to have Jesus visit your house not once but twice? Amen? How many of you would clean things up a little bit before he got there? Right? Amen. Take care of those Netflix. Make sure everything's copacetic, right? But now, so he goes the second time. And that is where all this goes down that we just read about. He's there the second time. And... The Bible says that uh, no doubt this, this home was a little, little home. It was not large. It was typical of a fisherman in, in, in that day. Fishermen had homes like this all over that area. So it was a small space. Jesus didn't care that he went to a mansion. He was happy to go to a small house, a regular house, a blue-collar fisherman's house. He wasn't too uppity to go into a lower level home. And that's the way he is today. He loves us right where we are. Matter of fact, he'd rather visit you in a small, humble home than go to some mansions that curse his name. Amen? Now, the Bible says it immediately filled up. It immediately packed out with people because word got out. Well, first time he was here, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. So no telling what's going to happen now. And, and, and if, if he performed no miracle, people love to hear him teach. And so here he is. He's teaching away. And, and the Bible says, while Jesus is teaching and all these people are glued to his every word, a very touching scene is happening outside the house on the fringe of the crowd as Jesus teaches. Four men are suddenly seen walking towards the house, carrying a man in a stretcher. 
one man, each man has a corner of the stretcher, each of the four, and they're carrying a man who can't move. He's paralyzed. He's a paralytic. He can't move. He's gaunt looking. His eyes are filled with pain and a flicker of hope. Maybe, just maybe, something will happen if I can just get to Jesus. If I can just get to Jesus, who knows what will happen? I've heard about him. His friends heard about him. We don't know his name. We don't know his friends' names. We never do know. They are the nameless four, and he's the nameless paralytic. We don't know how far they've come, but we know that if you're carrying a full-grown man, let's say he weighs 180, 200 pounds, you're carrying a full-grown man, how many of you know even half a mile would be a long way? So he's carrying this man, they're carrying this man in a stretcher, and their hearts are broken over his plight. Surely they're friends of his because they've seen his pain. They've seen his situation. He can't move. He's unable to move. He can't walk. He can't function. He can't enjoy, have a normal life. His life has been ruined. We don't know if he's born this way or if an accident happened. Probably an accident. Maybe his neck was broken. His back was broken. Something caused him to be a quadriplegic. He couldn't move anything. The word is paralytic, and it means totally paralyzed. So his life is over for all intents and purposes unless something happens here. If we can just get to Jesus is the thoughts of these men. Somewhere along the way, they heard about Jesus. You know, sometimes all you got to do is hear about him. All you got to do is hear about him. Mighty things happen when you hear about him. When you just hear about Jesus, they'd heard about Jesus. They'd heard about him healing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying the fishes and the loaves, walking on water. They had heard that he was a miracle worker. And when they heard that he was a miracle worker, something in them clicked and faith rose up in their heart based on what they heard. That's why we got to tell people about Jesus because when you tell people about Jesus, it ignites faith in their heart. You just got to tell people about Jesus. Just open up your mouth and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm not a theologian, but let me tell you what I know about Jesus. When I called out on Jesus, he changed my life. He filled my soul with hope and life. He raised me from the spiritual dead and gave me a whole new reason to go on. Let me tell you about Jesus. So they're thinking this, maybe if we can just get our friend. Oh, it's a long shot. We're not sure, but if we can maybe just get our friend into the presence of this man we've heard about, Jesus of Nazareth, maybe something can happen. So they laid him in a stretcher. I don't know what his name was. Let's say Joe. Joe, we're going to carry you. We're going to take you where you can't go on your own. We're going to get you to the miracle worker. We're going to get you into his presence. Joe, just enjoy the ride. You can't do it, but we can get you there. You can't get yourself there, but we can carry you there. Joe, we love you. We care about you. And so we're going to carry you where you cannot go. We're going to get you to who you could never see on your own. But Joe, we're going to see if maybe a miracle can happen in your life. Because we've heard this guy touches sick people and they're made whole. So Joe, let's give it a shot. Now their journey has many lessons for us today. And, and, and let, me just, let me just share some of the lessons, faith lessons, that we get out of this story. 
The first thing I see here that hits me right in the face when I read this story is the most effective faith is love-driven. The most effective faith is love-driven. Can we say that together? The most effective faith is love-driven. It's not mechanical. It's not unfeeling. But the most, as a matter of fact, love greases the skids of faith. These men had great faith. Oh, they had great faith. They're willing to put him on a stretcher and carry him. God only knows how far to get him to Jesus. So they had great faith. But their faith was love-driven. It was love-driven. They had great faith, but they had great love. They loved this paralyzed man enough to carry him all the way to Jesus. Listen to what the Bible teaches. Love is the channel. Faith flows through best. Let me say that again. Love is the channel. Faith flows through best. When you're moved by love, it ignites faith. Listen to what Paul wrote. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. Notice, faith working, how? How does faith work? Through love. Now, that word working is from a Greek word, energeo, and we get the word energy from it. And here's the idea. The idea is like electricity energizes a light bulb, making it shine. Faith is energized, lit up, maximized by love. Faith operates, functions, works by, shines best, is maximized by love. If I have not love, said Paul, I'm like a tinkling cymbal. It's like somebody just, uh, the drummer on any Sunday, just hitting the cymbals and never hitting any of the drums. You go, what's up with that? I don't want to hear that. I want to hear the full, the full thing, the drums. But if he's just sitting there doing this, it's a brassy, tinny, shallow sound all by itself. The Bible says if we don't operate in love, we're not reflecting God. We're told about Jesus' ministry. This little phrase follows uh, or, or precedes many of his miracles. He was moved with compassion. It says Jesus was moved with compassion. We read that, that Jesus saw a widow walking in a funeral line. Her only son had died. And it says Jesus was moved with compassion. And he walked up to the casket and raised the boy from the dead and gave him back to his mother. It says Jesus looked out at the crowd following him. And it says he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. And that's when he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. The, the, the compassion preceded the miracle. The compassion worked with his faith. Folks, we are not to be just people of faith, but we're to be people of love and faith. Faith and love. Love and faith. I was at Walmart yesterday where all good things happen. I went in there to buy an electric cable. I was fixing something, and I was in line. And right in front of me, there were these two, two women. And one of them uh, might have been the mother, the other the daughter, but I noticed that she had a, a little thing of depends, depends, diapers. 
That's it. Depends diapers on the shelf. And, and, and it's time for her to check out, and she's checking through, and she's counting ones. And it turned out she didn't have enough. She didn't have enough ones to get Depends diapers. And I'm watching this. She kind of held her head down. It was embarrassing. She knew I was behind her. And the mother figure said, well, we'll just have to get them another day. And all of a sudden, right then and there, my heart was moved with compassion. I wasn't looking down on her. I just felt touched by her plight. What's it like to be in Walmart and you don't have enough for Depends diapers? So before I even knew what I was saying, I said it. I said, oh, I'll I'll get those. Oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. No, I want to do that. And, And the cashier rung them up. The woman said, what's your name? And now the daughter had already grabbed them, and buddy, she was headed out the door. I said, my name is Jeff. And I felt the love of Jesus. I did it in the name of the Lord. Now, let me tell you something. It ignited something in me. See, God wants us to be people not just moved by knowing the right truth. Not just moved by being saved and they're not. He never wants us to be condescending to people. But we are, to, we are to be like him. He condescended this way. He was condescending this way. He condescended to become one of us. And he walked among us and felt our pain and loved us. Let me tell you what changed me. What changed me was the love of God poured in my heart by the Holy Ghost. Theology didn't change me. Knowing the right thing didn't change me. The love of Jesus changed me. <clears throat> Amen? Come on, give the Lord praise. We're to be a people of love. So the faith of these four men was enlarged and maximized and energized by love for their friend. Now, the second thing I see in this story is their faith was unmoved by obstacles. Unmoved by obstacles. Mark records that as soon as they arrived at the house, now they come long enough, they're carrying a man all that way, dead weight, he can't move, he can't help them. They're carrying him the whole way, and they get there, and, 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 and the first thing they see is a major obstacle. The Bible says they could not, they could not come near him because of the crowd. They couldn't get near him. Not only was the, pat, the house packed, but all around the house, they were turning people away. This was a sold-out venue. Jesus was popular. And so they, the, the, the crowd way out in the yard and beyond, they couldn't begin to get near Jesus. So they ran into a major obstacle. This was a moment of testing. Let me tell you something. On, on the way to a miracle, your faith will always be tested. Can I say that again? On the way to a miracle, whatever the miracle might be, a financial miracle, a relational miracle, a a deliverance miracle, a healing miracle, on your way to a miracle, your faith will always be tested. That's what gives you a testimony when your faith is tested. A testimony is you had a test with some moaning, and now you have a testimony. How many of you have a testimony today? Amen? 
How many of you are in the middle of a test and you're doing some moaning? Raise your hand. Come on. Well, let me tell you, on the other side of your moaning, you're going to have a testimony. The Bible says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, says Simon Peter. He says, if need be, you're right now going through a testing of your faith, and it's only going to last for a little while. How many of you experienced that storm last night? Out of nowhere. Yesterday, it's 96 degrees, sunshiny, and all of a sudden, I couldn't believe it. I heard the rumbling and looked out my window, and this ferocious storm had come. But anytime there's a storm, you know this too shall pass. You know it's not going to stay. God's not going to let it stay because he's never going to drown the earth again in a flood. You know it's going to go away sooner or later. So you weather the storm. It's the same thing spiritually. Everything is bright and sunshiny, and all of a sudden there is a storm. The wind is howling. The waves are rolling. And and you wonder, where in the world did this come from? Uh, Out of the blue, suddenly you're in a trial. Your faith is being tested. I guarantee you, you're going to come out on the other side. You're not going to build a house in the valley. You are going through the valley. Yea, though I walk through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod of guidance and his staff of comfort guide me and lead me. I'm going to get to the other side. So all these four men could do is hold steady. You know, sometimes all that God asks you to do is stand your ground. Just stand your ground. Nothing fancy, just stand your ground. Don't retreat, just stand your ground. Don't give in, just stand your ground. Just stand there and say, I'm not moving. Even though I've come up against an obstacle, that's not the end of the story. Delay does not mean denial. That I'm just going to hold steady. I'm going to hold strong. I have put on the armor of God, and I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to retreat. I'm just going to hold my ground. I'm nothing fancy. I may not look pretty doing it, but I'm just going to hold my ground. I'm just going to stand strong. Sometimes all that God asks of us is you know the truth, you know your Bible, you know your Savior, you know he's got everything under control, you know the devil is a dog on a leash, just stand strong. I am, thank you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just getting wound up. So the third thing I see here is, not only was their faith unmoved by obstacles, But listen, their faith pushed through the obstacles. Pushed through. Faith's favorite direction is forward. The devil's favorite direction is backward. But faith's favorite direction is forward. We see that their faith had a desperate edge to it. It had a desperate edge. Faith sometimes, when it's taken down to the wire and you're on the mat 
and the devil's standing over you giving you the count and it looks like all is lost and there's no answer, no solution. Sometimes when you're in that place, I'm telling you, faith will get a desperate edge to it. Desperate. God likes desperate faith. Can I say that again? God likes desperate faith because desperate faith is fighting faith. Desperate faith is faith that doesn't care what people think. Desperate faith is faith that says, you know what? It looks like I'm down for the count, but my Bible says otherwise. And so whatever it takes, I'm going to push through. I am getting through this. I am going to get through this. I am not going down. I'm going through. See, they, they were desperate to see their friend healed. This touches me. Because it wasn't their paralysis. It was their friend's paralysis. But because he was paralyzed, they felt like they were too. They took his pain. And they shared his pain and his plight. Desperate faith, folks, listen. Desperate faith reaches the ears of God like nothing else. Tonight, we're going to meet in intercessory prayer at 530. We're going to meet in here. And we're going to pray desperate prayers from desperate faith to a prayer answering God. How many of you can say our nation is in desperate trouble? It, it, it calls for some people with desperate faith. Come on. Read your Bible carefully and take note. The Bible is filled with stories of desperate people with desperate needs in desperate times with desperate trials who cried out to God with desperate faith. And they were answered. In the Old Testament, we see barren Hannah, so tired of being needled by her adversary, her husband's other wife, when they allowed polygamy in those days. Needling her all the time because she was barren. She had made her life miserable. She had made her life, she didn't even want to live anymore. And she, she, Finally, just got down before God, and she prayed a desperate prayer. Give me a child, and I'll give him back to you. And God answered that prayer and gave her Samuel. The children of Israel cried out to God in slavery. They said, oh, God, we can't take another day of this bitter slavery. Help us. And God heard their prayer and sent Moses. When these four men saw they could not get to Jesus by conventional means. I love what they did. They made a desperate move out of desperate faith. <laughs> oh, did they make a move? They cried. They said, we can't get to him by the way we thought we could, but that's not going to stop us. We're just going to go another way. Now, the homes in those days, were the, the roofs were flat, and they usually had outside steps that led up to the roof because they would go up to the roof and they sit up there and they would eat up there and they would worship God up there. Remember when Peter was on the rooftop and he was worshiping God and the vision came to him of the sheet and all of that? So they, they just said, we'll go up the stairs. So they took this man in a stretcher and somehow, some way, listen, faith will make a way where there is no way. Faith will make a way where there is no way. Can I say it again? Faith will make a way where there is no way. Faith will find a way where there is no way. And they walked up those steps to the rooftop, Jesus is down in there. They circumvented the crowd and went up on the rooftop. And you know what they began to do? They began to tear through that roof. They said, Joe, hang tough because we're about to make a way where there is no way. They said, Joe, we love you enough 
to do something completely unconventional to get you healed. We don't care what people think. We don't care what people say. We don't care about fingers pointing at us. We don't care about the scuttlebutt of how we did something crazy to get an answer from God. We're going to dig through this roof. I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus is there teaching the word of God. House is packed. They're hanging on every word. All of a sudden, they hear a sound. I want you to imagine this now. Use your sanctified imagination. Suddenly, noise is heard from above, and dust starts falling on many of the people listening to Jesus. And then followed by dust, pieces of plaster and wood and broken tiles began falling to the ground. Now Jesus has lost his crowd. Everybody's looking up. The sunlight begins to shine through as a hole appears and grows larger and larger. Finally, four men's faces are seen peering down, eyes filled with desperate hope as they lowered their friend by ropes to Jesus. Now he's eye level with Jesus. Can you imagine I'm preaching? We hear something. And all of a sudden, rip, the roof is torn apart, and somebody is lowered right in front of me. That'd break up the meeting, wouldn't it? The man in the stretcher says nothing. His four friends say nothing. He's just there. Nothing needs to be said. The scene says it all. I'm desperate. I have desperate faith because I've got a desperate need. I know preachers that would rebuke him for messing up their message. I can imagine the mixed crowd, because it was a very mixed crowd. I'm sure the religious rabbis thought this was outrageously intrusive. How dare you do something so unconventional and mess up the message and do something so impolite? Peter was probably struggling with the damage to his roof. Hey, guys. It's Peter's roof, and they have ruined it. It took a big hole to lower a stretcher through. That roof is ruined. He's thinking, do I have insurance? Some of the listeners probably resented them interrupting the teaching. But Jesus had none of those emotions. Jesus saw the faith, the desperate faith. It's interesting to me, the very first thing that Jesus does is forgive his sins. Well, that's not why I was lowered in front of you. I was lowered in front of you to be healed. But see, Jesus saw, yeah, you're crippled, but let me tell you a greater need you don't even know you have. You need your sins forgiven. Because you can have everything against you in life. You can have a million different problems. But if your sin is not forgiven, that is your number one problem. Your number one need is to be forgiven, not healed, forgiven. That's your number one need. Because nothing will cripple you like sin. Nothing will destroy you like sin. A crippled body doesn't carry you into hell, but sin does. So he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And somehow, some way, that led the way to his healing. 
Sometimes when you take care of the biggest need first, other needs take care of themselves. Isn't it right and amazing when you get right with God, other things in your life begin to fall into place. But then Jesus healed him. Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. It says immediately he rose, took up the bed and went out. Don't you know those four friends were doing cartwheels? They were not sitting there going, well, praise God. Don't you know those four friends that carried him all that way, broke through that roof, lowered him down by ropes? Don't you know they did cartwheels all the way back home? Don't you know they had a benefit? Come on, everybody. This is one Bible story that shows us what true Bible faith looks like, how it manifests itself. Can we stand together? Do you have a desperate need today? How about, do you need a through-the-roof breakthrough? How many of you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've been fighting a battle so long, I'm to the place where I'm I'm about ready to exercise desperate faith, and I'm going to see a through-the-roof miracle. Because you know what? When it says they finally broke through the roof, they had also broken through in faith. The roof was a picture of what they'd already done. They got into Jesus. And their wildest hope came true. Desperate faith. How many of you need a through-the-roof breakthrough today? Come on. Uh, Conventional things haven't done it. You need to circumvent the crowd. You need to go another way. But you're going to get to Jesus no matter what. Let me see your hands. Come on. Jesus will never rebuke you for it. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you. If you need a through-the-roof breakthrough today, I want you to come down to the altar, would you? I want you to slip out and come. Don't worry about what people think. We're great with time. I want you to slip out and come. I, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I need a through-the-roof breakthrough. I need to exercise through-the-roof faith. I need to exercise desperate faith. Because I've got a desperate situation, a desperate need, and I believe that Jesus can touch it and heal me and do something in my life today. Come on. It could be that your desperate need is for Jesus to change you. Notice, he forgave the man before he healed the man. Forgiveness preceded healing. Maybe you need to be saved today. Maybe you need Jesus to come into your heart today. It is the perfect moment right now to do it. So oh, I need him today. I need Jesus today. You know, I knew when I needed Jesus, I was so paralyzed in my sin, so paralyzed in my life, so paralyzed with fear and bondage. And he forgave me. When he forgave me, it unleashed so much healing in so many other areas of my life. You say, Pastor Jeff, I might need Jesus in my heart today. Can you raise your hand? Just say, I might need him in my heart today. Maybe I need to get right with him. Amen? All right, if you do, we're going to pray in just a moment. But I want to say to all you that have come, do you know that Jesus will never rebuke you for even coming at him in an unconventional way? How many of you can say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I want Jesus to touch me. Amen? I want Jesus to touch me. All right, I want you to say with me, he saw their faith. He saw their faith. That's what he saw. He saw their faith. And that's what moved him. 
So I want us to lift our hands to the Lord Jesus today. Father, right now we thank you that when you see us, you see our faith. You see the faith we're turning towards you. Lord, Lord you're, you're not focused on what we look like or where we live or how much money we have or don't have. You're focused on our faith. You see our faith. And Lord, we give you our faith today. We place our faith in you. We place our faith in the Son of God now. We place our faith on you and in you that you're a prayer answering God. And Lord, we come to you with desperate faith because we've got a desperate need. Now I want you to say with me down in this altar, say, Lord, I bring to you my desperate need. You know my need. You know because you know all things. You know that I'm crippled in some area. I'm hindered. I can't function the way I should because of the need that I've got. I'm like that man. But Lord, you saw his faith. And now, Lord, see my faith. I give to you my desperate need. Say it again. I give you my desperate need. Whatever it is, say it to him. If it's a marriage, if it's financial, if it's temptation, if it's physical, if it's mental, we're going to say it again. Say, I give to you my desperate need. Now say the need to him. Say, Lord, I give it to you in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. I give it to you. Pray. Pray out loud. We're not ashamed here in the house of God. Pray out loud. Say, I give you this need, Lord. In the name of Jesus, it's a person, it's a place, it's a thing, it's a habit, it's a need. I give it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, touch this need by your power, by your grace, by your glory. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I roll my burden onto you. I cast my care onto you. I give the need to you. It's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. Lord, in Jesus' name, touch me at the point of my need right now. Come on, everybody, say it. Touch me at the point of my need right now. In the name of Jesus. Now lift your hands and give him a wave offering. Say, thank you, Jesus, for hearing me today. Thank you for hearing me today. Thank you for hearing me today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, give him a praise offering. Give him a clap offering. Thank you, Lord. Come on, everybody. Praise him. Ernie, come up to me. Ernie's going in for surgery this week. We're going to pray for him. He's a precious man who's been with us for many years. Everybody put your hand up towards him. He has a desperate need. And we're going to believe God to touch him. Lord, in Jesus' name, heal Ernie. May this uh, operation be a complete and total success. Lord, thank you, Lord, for being with every doctor. Thank you for being the unseen, invisible doctor in the room. Thank you, Lord, for giving him courage and giving him strength and bringing him back to us whole and healthy and sound in his body in the name of Jesus. Now, everybody, keep your hands up and, and raise them towards these folks up here and just say, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers, for touching my brethren in the altar today. Say with me, we haven't prayed in vain, but God heard our prayers. 
Thank you for touching my brother and my sister. They will never be the same, not ever, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise. Come on, everyone.